Amen. Turn with me this morning for our Bible reading to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 21. Let's hear and read the word of God together. Second Samuel chapter 21. We're going to read the first 14 verses of the chapter. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, And Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, and that devised against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gabeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ea, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Methielite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together, and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rispah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest in them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rispah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabez Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. 
And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, for a few minutes, uh, let me address the children. And I've got something in my bag here that's very interesting. Remember, we're thinking now about the gospel in the farmyard. And I have brought some interesting items out of our kitchen. Okay, I'll try and set them up here if I can, so you can see them. Okay, now hopefully you'll be able to see these. These are all representatives of a particular animal, young people and boys and girls, that's found in almost every farmyard in the country, and of course it's called the hen. And do you know that the Bible mentions the word hen? For example, in the book of St. Matthew, in chapter 23, in verse 37, it reads, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stoning them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together? Listen to these words. Even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. I want you to think of those words, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. Because I'm going to take you to a farm in England called Smithfield, it's owned by John and Mary Smith. And one of the things that's the pride and joy of Mary is that she has a flock of lovely speckled Suffolk hens. And one of the hens, we'll say this represents that hen, was called Sue. And Sue had a number of little baby hens. They're called chickens. And of course, Mary was so proud of these chickens. And these chickens, they, they, during the day, were out in the meadow. And then at night, they come into the chicken coop. She safely gathered them all in, make sure they were all uh, put to bed. Why? Because she wouldn't want them out in the meadow, because there'd be a danger, especially of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fox. And they would have come and not only taken Sue, but they would have also taken the little chickens as well. And of course, there was other uh, wild animals, and she wanted to protect her chickens. Now, one evening, as she was getting um, the dinner ready, and she was at the kitchen window, she thought she heard a little noise. And it was a cheap, 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 but it was very faint. And she thought to herself, no, I've got all the chickens. They're all locked up in the chicken coop. But anyway, after a while, she goes doing the dishes again, and she thought she heard cheap, cheap, cheap. And she said, no, I went out, and she got a flashlight, and she went out in the meadow, and she searched, and she searched, and she searched, 
and she still thought she heard a faint cheep, but she couldn't see anything, and she no, all they, they must be all safely gathered up. But then she went into the chicken coop, and she saw Sue with her wee chickens, and she started to count them. Now Sue had twelve chickens, and one of them was missing. So she got into a fluster, and she came into her husband and said, "Right, John, come on, get the wellies on. There's a chicken lost." And she went out into the meadow and they searched and searched and searched. And eventually they found the little chicken. What had happened was it had dropped down a big hole at the very edge of the field. And of course, if it had been left there all night, this wee chicken that was lost, that was making this cheaping sound, well, it could have been exposed to the frost. It could have been exposed to a heavy rain. But on top of that, Foxy Loxy could have come along and he would have had a nice little supper. So anyway, she gathered up the little chicken and she brought that chicken in and put the chicken back with Sue, the mummy. And of course, there was a a different cheap now. It wasn't a cheap that I'm lost and I'm in danger. It it was a cheap of delight. And even, of course, the the mother hen, she uh, uh, chuckled as well. And you know, that got me thinking about the story of hens in the Bible. As a mother gathereth her chicks under her wings. You see, you think of the call of that wee chick, cheap, cheap, cheap. Or was it? It was lost in the meadow. It was down a big hole. And it was in danger. And if it had been left there, it would have died. It would have been lost. And that would have been sad, wouldn't it? Young people, boys and girls. Absolutely. But think of this. There was someone who heard that cheep. Even though it was faint, it was heard. And then a search was made. And the wee chick was found. And the wee chick was united with the mummy and brought safely under the mother's wing. And I want to say that's a picture of boys and girls and young people in the world. You see, we have fallen into the pit of sin. And we're lost there. And we have no hope of rescuing ourselves. This little chick had no hope of rescuing itself. And we need to cry out. Do you know what the Bible says? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says again in the Old Testament, call unto me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. And I want to tell you, just as Mary Smith heard that little cheap, 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 No matter how faint or weak your cry is or mine, God hears that in heaven. And God can answer that. And God can save you and bring you to himself. Suppose the wee chick had said, do you know what? I'll not make any sound. Mary Smith would have known the chicken wasn't in the chicken coop. And it could have been dead in the morning. The emphasis and the importance of this is this. Whosoever shall call. If you realize you're lost in the pit of sin and in danger, then you need to call out because there's a seeking shepherd called the Lord Jesus. And just as he would have sought for the lamb, so Mary Smith was searching for the chick, but listening for the call to come to where it was. And if you call in the name of the Lord, 
you'll be saved. And if you call in the name of the Lord in your trouble, he'll hear you and he'll answer that prayer uh, and that cry of your concern. Now, my text today is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 and 11. It reads as follows, And Rispa, the daughter of Ea, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped down upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest in them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rispa, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. In relation to 2 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, I just want to add the words of Lamentation 5 and 3 that says, Our mothers are as widows. Now, my theme today I've entitled The Grief and Grit of a Good Mother. Now, this is Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday throughout the English-speaking world. And as has been her custom for many, many years, when Mother's Day comes round each year, I can't let it pass without preaching a sermon on it. So this is just a one-off sermon this morning. It's strange I'm more inclined to let Father's Day pass without preaching a sermon on Father's Day, but not so much on Mother's Day. Now, I believe the reason for this is this that mothers are some of the most unappreciated people in the world. Uh, Mothers, of course, to me, are special. And on Mother's Day, I, I always like to urge the children and urge the young people to be good to their mothers and learn to appreciate them and seek to honor and obey them. Now, today's message is all about a good mother. A God-fearing mother, but a grieving mother at that. A mother who shows great grit and determination in the the midst of great trial and calamity. You see, mothers, you know that being a mother isn't easy. Being a mother is not for the full-hearting. It's not to be taken lightly or entered upon rashly. Being a mother involves making many tough decisions. And oftentimes those decisions can be heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. And of course, being a good godly mother, if that's your aspiration, then you've got to learn to trust the Lord, take him at his word, even in the tough times of life. Now, this particular mother that I've chosen today is a lesser-known mother. In fact, the word mother isn't even mentioned in the text, but it's certainly here inferred and implied, as we're going to see. And this mother's name is a lady called Rispa, the daughter of Aiah. And I want you to think Because this story goes all the way back to the days of Joshua. In Joshua 9, the children of Israel are coming into the land of promise. They're taking possession of the land. Jericho has fallen. 
Ai has fallen. Fear and dread comes on many of the inhabitants of the land. So a group of people called Gibeonites, they devise a plan, a cunning plan. A small group dressed in old clothes, old worn shoes, steel bread, battered wineskins, battered water bottles come to Joshua. This is what they say. We're from a far country. We're travelers. We, we've heard about you. We have heard the fear of God is in this place. We would like to make a league with you and your God so you'll not kill us. Joshua's men, of course, asked, well, how do we know? And they showed him the evidence, the old clothes, the shoes, the water bottles, the wineskins, so on and so forth. Now, now, they didn't inquire of the Lord. They didn't pray. They didn't say, well, we'll see what God has to say about making a league. But Joshua entered into a league with them. Not to destroy them. Not to put them to death. Then they discovered they were tricked. They were deceived. But because of the oath or the vow or the covenant that was sworn before the Lord, they could not put them to death. So what they did was they made the Gibeonites their servants. You chop wood and you draw water into the cities, the towns, and the villages. Now, that arrangement lasted for 400 years. Then Saul became the first king of Israel. And when he came to the throne, this was one of the things that he did. He began to kill the Gibeonites. Why? Commentators differ. Some maintain and are off the view that Saul was a despot, a tyrant, who, who just enjoyed killing people for the sake of killing people. Others maintain, well, he tried to make amends uh, for his past mistakes. Remember the foolish decision of sparing Agag, king of the Amalekites, and his sheep and cattle? Other commentators say no, that Saul was adopting the noble idea of going back to God's original command. God's command to Joshua and his men was, let none of the original inhabitants remain in the land. Kill them all or exile them all. And Saul rationalized that the first command, the original command, cancelled out the oath. And the oath should not have been made. And now, 30 years after the death of Saul, King David's on the throne. And there's a famine in the land. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David, in the third year, got before the Lord and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. So David made contact with the Gibeonites. And this is what he said in verse 3. What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? The Gibeonites said unto him, we will have no silver, nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither for us shall thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us, 
and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gilbea of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. So the two sons of Rispah were taken. If you look with me, it says in verse 8, So the king took the two sons of Rispah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni, and Mephibosheth. Five sons of Michael were also taken and were hanged before the Lord on the hill at Gabeah of Saul. We're told even in the text of when it took place. Verse 9, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now let me just add that Rispa was married to King Saul. It actually says in the text, the concubine of Saul. In other words, she was one of the royal concubines. Despite all the privileges of royalty, having a royal lifestyle, this woman was plunged into a state of deep grief. Not only were two sons taken and put to death, but they were hanged in the hill before the Lord at Gabeah, and their bodies were left to rot there for a long time. And we're told here in our text, 2 Samuel 21, verses 10 and 11, what she did. And I want you to listen very carefully. And Rispah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest in them by day nor the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rispah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. You see, I've been thinking about good godly mothers but I've also been praying for good godly mothers that we know of who are grieving, who are brokenhearted at this time. Uh, this woman was already a widow because her husband Saul was dead and had been dead a long time. And all she has as a widow is her two boys, Armoni and Mephibosheth. We don't read of the father here except by name. And now these two boys have been taken. And not only, as I've said, put to death, but they've been hanged in the hill before the Lord. And I thought to myself as I was praying about uh, bringing a message on Mother's Day, the life and character of Rispa came to mind. Now let's learn a number of things this morning. First of all, thinking about the prayer of this grieving mother. You see, the word Rispa is mentioned four times in the Bible. Three times here in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And the name means a live coal, or a hot burning stone, or, or a flaming stone. I, I believe she was a woman of great beauty. I believe, of course, that she was a woman because of her beauty, chosen by Saul to be one of his many concubines. And they were legally married and attached to the royal court. And she was used to the finer things of life, used to a royal lifestyle, used to many privileges, used to pomp and ceremony. And I've said she's lost her husband. Her husband's been dead 30 years now. And, and here's her two sons, and, and they have been taken. 
two sons that are, are now physically dead. And she is watching them being hung on the tree. All seven, we read of these men, fall together, which means the trap door opened and they all fell uh, to their death through hanging at the same time. Now, what did she do? I believe that she prayed. If you look at the scripture, it says, And Rispa, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. Now, some of you are mothers here. And your children are physically alive, and we thank God for them. But here's a question. Are they spiritually dead? Or have they been born again of the Holy Spirit? Or are they spiritually dead in trespasses and sins? Remember what Jesus said. If you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. For those who die outside of Christ, die in their sins, they're lost. And they, they not only are in the pit of sin, but they, they end up in, in a pit called hell. And here's a mother. And her sons are physically dead, but notice what she does. She takes sackcloth and she spreads it on a rock. You see, this sackcloth was not comfortable. It was made of goat's hair. It was the color black. It was very rough and coarse. What was she doing? I believe she was humbling herself. Sitting on a sackcloth in the Bible is always a sign of remorse and brokenness for sin, a sign of repentance. This woman's brokenhearted. This woman's grieving. This woman has a love and a passion for her boys. She probably remembers the day they were born when she cradled them in her arms. She remembers them growing up as little children, toddlers. She remembers the teenage years and now they're, they're grown men. And they're looking after her in her widowhood and now they're dead. You see, life is hard. And this woman in her hard, difficult situation sits in this uncomfortable cloth on this rock in Gabeah as a sign of brokenness and bitterness before the Lord. She has a prayer in her head. It's not in her lips. It's in her thoughts. It's on her heart. And I want to tell you this morning, although you already know this, prayer is not easy. Prayer is a spiritual fight. Prayer is hard. And in prayer, you've got to fight the flesh. You've heard of the names of John and Charles Wesley. We sing of their hymns. Did you know their mother was called Susanna? She had 17 children. And every day, she never failed to pray for them. And she never failed to pray with them. She taught them to pray. Things like the Lord's Prayer. And other prayers out of the Bible. Now, how did she find the time? She had no modern appliances like we have. She, she lived in a busy, busy man's. I believe she was a saved, godly, sanctified woman. You see, this woman was disciplined. And it's amazing when you adopt the mindset of discipline, how much you can get done through the day. And, and no matter how busy you are, be disciplined enough to pray with and for your children. You see, Rispa, I believe, labored in prayer. Not only was this cloth not 
comfortable. It was not comely. In other words, this was an ugly-looking cloth. Rough, coarse, black goat's hair. It was not like the cloth that she was used to in the palace. It was certainly not fine linen work. It was not fine needlework. It was not made of silk. And yet, this woman chose to do this before the Lord. And I have to say this morning, I believe not only are mummies are special, but one of the most beautiful things in the house of God among the people of God, is the sight of a good, godly mother. And that's what the lambs crying out for, good, godly mothers. We live in a day when it's not looked upon as being comely to be a good, godly mother. Not only does society despise the sanctity of life, I, I believe society despises a, a, a good, godly mother. Can you imagine the impact that a good godly mother has in the home, in society, in the country? And yet I think of Rispa, and she's here in this rock. I can imagine courtiers coming up and saying to her, Ma'am, it's not right. It's not proper for you to sit there on the rock. Your sons are dead. Their bones are bleaching in the sun. Get off the rock. Come down. But she doesn't. Even though it's not comfortable and not comely, because she's a good, godly mother who is grieving for her sons, she refuses to budge. See, an ungodly world doesn't understand a good, godly mother. Mothers know that God has given them the children given them to nurse and to cherish, given them to rear up. And even if it's not comely in the sight of some to bring them to the house of God and teach them the word of God and introduce them to the Christ of God and try to instill within them the knowledge of God, they're going to carry on. They're going to stay the course. They're going to stick with it. And I would say to the mothers in the church and who are online this morning listening to me, stay with Christ if you know and love Christ. Stay with the Bible. Stay with the church. And even though it's not comfortable and it's hard and difficult, and even though it's not comely in the sight of others, you stick with it. And as I've said and I say before, that to me is the great need of the hour. Mothers who are good godly mothers who labor in prayer for their children. And even if they're physically alive, they want to see them as spiritually made alive in Christ and one for the Savior. Think of the prayers of this godly mother. But think of something else this morning. Think of the position of this grieving mother. It tells us here in the text, if you look at it very carefully, it says, and spread it for her upon the rock. Now, now, do you see that? This was a solid rock. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians, and that rock is Christ. You see, it was important that she stay on the rock and rise up to pray on this rock because that rock is actually a picture 
of Christ personified. So this woman was really devoting herself to Christ the rock. She discovered that Christ is the rock and she felt and believed that she must be on the rock. And there was a time when she, by simple faith and trust, climbed and placed herself up upon the rock by the grace and help of God. And she was there for herself, her own well-being, but she was there on behalf of her children. And what was most important for her is that she was on the rock. The rock. Do you get the picture? You see, the most important thing, mummies, is not really the education of the children, although we want to um, have good education for them. The most important thing is not having the best of environment as far as a, a mansion of a house and a fleet of cars and money in the bank and holidays galore. I'm not despising any of that. If God has blessed you with that, amen. But the most important thing is that you're on the rock, which is Christ, the solid rock, the rock of ages, and that you're there to win your children also to Christ so that they will be entered into a knowing, loving relationship with him. Could I tell you something else? So it was a solitary rock. There's only one rock. The rock. The, the word the is emphatic in the Hebrew. That rock was Christ. See, which church saves? I remember being asked this question, and the answer is none. Does the Free Presbyterian Church save anybody? Absolutely not. Acts 4 and 12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I want to tell you something else. This was a special rock. This woman's broken. This woman's grieving. Could you try and enter into her life situation? There's no one with her. She's all on her own. But here she has a task to do. She's sticking with it. And there's none to help. No man comes to her aid. But she's on this special rock. And from that rock, she's going to do all that she can for her children. There's the position of this grieving mother. Notice, thirdly, the protection of this grieving mother. Two sons are dead, along with five cousins. And she's a, 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 a heart of love for her children. You see, death didn't sever that love. Love for children, a mummy's love for children, is a bond that's never, ever broken. You think of her devastating loss. You, you think of her pain. I've tried to, to enter into her shoes. Isn't the loss of a child tragic circumstances? Things that you'll never forget. A flood of tears, grief, precious memories, brokenness, bitterness, unanswered questions. And many of you understand that pain. We have to think today of Mrs. Phyllis Arnold, the death of Matthew. It's going to be two years now. We think of Mrs. Seaton and the death of Zara. I think of Mrs. Crawford from Sandown there and the death of Samuel. The tragic accident. I think of Mr. and Mrs. Graham and the sad death and burial of Helen last week. And I think of Rispa. 
She's a grieving mother. She was powerless to stop the execution of her boys. It's bad enough that they died in tragic circumstances, an accident or an illness. But these boys didn't die by accident or illness. These boys were publicly executed. These boys were hung to death. You enter into the depth of that pain. Soldiers coming to the home, knocking on the door, saying to Rispa, we want your two boys, Ammonai and the Phibosheth. Stand back. And they're bringing them out to take them to the place of execution. And she's weeping and wailing and following the soldiers. Can you get the picture? What's she doing? She's showing her love. Not only in life, but even in death. And there's seven bodies there. And she's sitting there on the rock. And why is she there? Think of the protection of this grieving mother. Look at the text and it tells us there. And suffered neither the birds of the air to rest in them by day, nor the beast of the field by night. Now let's stop for a wee moment. See the birds of the air by day. There's the scavengers of prey. There's the buzzards. There's the vultures. There's the eagle. There's the crows. And they love to have decaying corpses. And where do they land? Usually land in their head. Pick at their head, their brains, their eyes. In other words, they're going to attack the head. That which has to do with the mind. And, and isn't there a battle going on for the hearts and minds of the children in the educational field, in the scientific field, in today's society? Many are told, no God. Psalm 14 verse 1 comes to mind, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And what are our young people are being fed? They're being fed a diet of pluralistic religious nonsense. It's this, all religions lead to God. All religions are the same. All faiths are equally valid. There's truth and error in all religions. There's no real difference. And what's it summing up to say? It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. There is no God. It's all in people's minds and people's imagination. It's all nonsense. Live your life and enjoy it. And live it without reference to God. But the godly mother, the good mother, she wrestles in prayer for the children. So that none of this foolish, devilish nonsense of this godless world's philosophy will have an impact on their heart and mind. Oh, we live in a godless world. A, a, a world that trivializes life, lost the, the sanctity of life. Think of the, the, the abortion decisions that have been forced in Northern Ireland. Young people are told, live for the moment. Live for yourself. Live to please self, fulfill your loss. It's all infecting the mind, the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the ears, the thoughts. That needs to be protected. I'll tell you something else. Think of the beasts. They come by night. They sleep during the day, but they come at night. They're, they're jackals and the dogs. And they jump up, they attack the hands and the feet, even of those that are dead. Doesn't it speak of their walk? Speaks of their lifestyle? And doesn't the ungodly philosophy of the world that goes into your head wants to mess up your life? 
Mess it up with drink and mix it up with drugs and the party scene and have a good time. And it's only when something tragic happens. Then you begin to realize there's more to life than this. Whenever the every home crusade people were here, Heather and Clive Adams, they were telling us about a young man that left a nightclub. We believe it was in Newcastle to make his way home. And he was tragically killed. And the young people in that nightclub who were his friends were astonished at the news of his death. I wonder how many of them have gone back to the nightclub. How many of them have thought about their lifestyle and desired for change. There's something more. There's something better than this. I mentioned Susanna Wesley a few minutes ago. Did you know that Susanna Wesley had 16 rules for her children? 16 rules. You can Google them. I'm not going to read them out. And she applied them evenly to all her children, all 17. What was she doing? Was she being a legalist? Was she just being a a strict mother, a bad mother? No. She wanted to protect her children, to instill within them value. It's all about the protecting of the children. Very quickly. Think about the perseverance of this grieving mother. Notice when this ordeal began, the Bible tells us the beginning of barley harvest. When was the barley harvest? It was April. And look at the text it says, and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest, notice this, until water dropped upon them out of heaven. That's a reference to the early and the latter rain. And when did the early and latter rain come? Usually about October. So think of five months of a high, a dry, hot season. And here's the length of time she thought through. She stayed the course. She was bent in being a good, godly mother. And even though she was grieving, she had this mindset to protect her head and protect her feet. Is not the key of being a good mother a decision? I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to have stickability. I need to have this mindset for the protection of my children because there's a battle going on for their hearts and minds. There's a battle for their souls. Did you know that Monica, the mother of Augustine, prayed for Augustine for 30 years? Are you praying for your sons or daughters? For years. God hasn't answered those prayers. Has God heard them? Absolutely. Just like Mary Smith heard the little chirping of the chick in the hole. God has heard every cry. And everyone's precious. Even the faint, feeble cry, Lord help me. He has put it in his bottle. He has stored it up. And those prayers will be answered according to his will. And I would urge you mothers, whatever you're doing throughout the day, And I know it's busy from early morning to late at night. And there's so many chores to be done. Dishes to be washed. And beds to be made. And floors to be cleaned. And windows. And and, and clothes to be pressed and ironed. And food to be got. and, And a trip to the supermarket. And a run to this shop. Or a run to this school. It's busy, busy, busy. But no matter how busy you are. Set aside time to get alone with God. And cry out to him. And pray, Lord, help me. Lord, save my children. 
You see, I believe there was days when this woman, Rispa, could have given up. Days when she was alone, the heat of the sun, hungry maybe. The hardship of sitting on a rock in this coarse black cloth. Maybe at times dehydrated. This woman was full of understanding. She persevered for five to six months. Do you know it's not part of the problem today? There's not just a lack of prayer and the absence of good godly mothers. But there's a lack of a need of understanding about the protection of the children and a lack of the understanding of perseverance. I would encourage you to have a quiet time. I would encourage you mothers, come and join with us in the prayer meeting because the greatest calling you have is to be a wife and a mother. And let me add this, if you're baking food, say you're baking a cake, and you left some of the ingredients out, it wouldn't be a very good cake. It might be tasteless. Some of them might decide, we'll throw it in the bin. You see, we can't leave out prayer. We can't leave out perseverance. We can't leave out protection, despite the pain. Let me say something else. Just two little things, bear with me. I want you to think of the picture of this grieving mother. You see, as I've thought about this, there's a separate gospel message here. Let me just throw it out to you very quickly. Seven children. Seven's the number of perfection in the Bible. Perfect sacrifice to make atonement. Does not bring us to Christ. Isn't, isn't a picture of Christ, the sin, the spotless Son of God. For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us, and you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. These seven sons, they die in the place of a guilty one. The guilty one was Saul. They're dying in his place. Sinless, spotless, substitutionary atonement was made for Christ, who was sinless and innocent. These seven songs were hung outside the city wall of Gabeah. was in Calvary outside the city wall of Jerusalem. These seven sons were hung on a hill before the Lord. And wasn't Christ hung at the foot of Calvary's hill, the foot of Golgotha? They were hanged on a tree. Galatians 3 and 13 tells us, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. See, it's a glimpse of Calvary. These seven men were put into the hands of the Gibeonites. They were not true Israelites. You think of the religious mob, the deniers, the, the counterfeit religious charlatans coming with their lanterns and their torches and their swords and their spears to arrest Christ. They were not true Israelites. These seven sons bore the curse of a broken oath. Remember what the Bible tells us there in the book of Galatians again. In Galatians chapter 4. And in the verse 4, listen to these words, Galatians 4 and 4, and we read this. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, the broken oath was very important to the Lord. That's why the famine was sent. And there was a curse connected to that broken oath. 
And these boys were bearing the curse of this broken oath to make atonement. And these seven sons were buried with the king in his burial. Wasn't Christ with the rich in his death? These seven sons were loved by a mother at the place of death. And didn't Mary stand at the cross of Christ? Son, behold thy mother. Woman, behold thy son. No no greater love than the love of a mother for her children. But it peels into insignificance when we think of the, the love of God in Christ. You see, there's a picture of this grieving mother in the gospel. And one final thing. You'll be glad to hear that. The portion of this grieving mother. Look at verse 12. And David went and took the bones of Saul. The bones of Jonathan. Well, well, verse 11. And it was told David what Rispa, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and his sons of Jonathan, his sons from the men of Jabez Gilead. Here's her portion. The king heard. After six months almost, the king heard what she had done. And then the king helped. He, he went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan from the men of Jabez Gilead that had been there for 30 years. They hadn't bothered to now. And then they gathered up the bones of her sons too and they buried him with the father in the sepulchre of Kish. The bones of her cousins. And the king honoured her because her prayer was that they would have a decent burial. And that's what they had. Fitting for the king's sons. I say to you godly mothers this morning, Never ever quit pouring your life in for your children. When they're toddlers, it's easy. But especially when they're teenagers, 13 to 18, 19, 21, very, very difficult years. They face many serious issues. They have many pressures. But we have got a tremendous example here of a good, godly, grieving mother. And I believe if we adopt her lifestyle and think of her labor and prayer, think of her love, Think of her protection and perseverance. Think of what she portrays and her position on the rock. Then we can have a portion too that the king will hear us from heaven. The king will help. And the king will honor our stand in saving the children and the young people.